This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. special saturday episode <gasps> this is so weird for us That's my favorite murder we don't record saturday no we record like midnight on wednesday <laughs> usually we try to schedule it we're like how painful will this be for steven to have to edit into the That's late right. early morning hours That's right. how tired can we make steven be tomorrow it's all we care about but today <laughs> because i am going out of town we have to do adjustments for father's day tomorrow that's right and uh so yeah that's the worst because we just recorded and then we have to turn around and do one more book report yeah. real quick or like think of new things to talk about because it's not been a week i don't have anything what, i mean what did you get your dad for father's day um i think we're gonna we're getting him a new iphone oh my goodness because his iphone first of all i've talked about this but he loves apple products he's a big believer in apple he's owned stock well he owned stock for a while but then the market and everything crashed so i used to be like are you rich dad secretly and not telling us he's like nope um but he like he very much it's almost like it's a bay area thing a little bit where it's Mm. like those boys from san jose they're our boys yep they were in the garage together and now look at them i like to support those are the our neighbors those nerds down south um and so he he's had a five forever oh my gosh which pretty now fives look uh, iphone fives look like credit cards they're so tiny yeah it's like this little thing so now we get to get him a, a, a actual man size will you get yourself one too because you need an upgrade okay i also need thank you for my permission <laughs> I love you for that because I would ne- I would never do it. I'll Unless wait until I Georgia drop says. it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do it. That's greedy. Why? You, <laughs> it's greedy. It I'm, is. I'm selfish. Greed is good. No, it's not. <laughs> your phone is, is slow, and you're a busy. Wor- you're working. That's basically your office. So you're like getting a nice office. That's all. You're exactly right. And let me add on a laptop to that because mine. That's right. So remember how for a while. It would be moody and there was, all of a sudden I couldn't do a P. Yes. I, I wouldn't be able to type P. Then I taught, I spilled water on it and all kinds of stuff. Did like happening. everything go orange at one point or something? Yes. It, there was some weird screen where I was like, did I just win on asteroids? What just <laughs> happened? My computer. And I, for a while I was convinced that there's a, Russians are watching me yeah. in a strange mirror image on my laptop. They are. <laughs> But now it just doesn't do stuff sometimes. Like, I'll just be typing and then it just freezes for like, a while. Uh-uh. I need to throw that thing out. Do it. That's what you do, right? You throw it into a ravine. <laughs> it's probably the safest thing to do, actually. <laughs> Try to take that battery out and then just huck it off of a street on Mel- Mulholland. Do it. If you hit someone in the head, you get extra points. Yeah. Do it. I got my dad. Can I tell you? I just think it. I almost just did this to like, because I thought this was such a good idea to be like, yes, I'm going to support this. Yes. For Father's Day, 
there was like a 30% discount at 23andMe. <laughs> and I was just like, I fucking love you guys. That's like the best marketing. I'm going to give get that for my dad. Oh, I bet he'd love that. Yeah, he's totally into it. We like got contacted once by someone who maybe was a family member and all this shit. And so I got that for him. And I I just love that it's like the perfect timing of like, hey, do you all kids want to see if your dad's a murderer? Like, let's get him a discount. Let's upload some shit. Exactly. Um, You know, I I think I told you this, but I joined Ancestry.com because because my father's my mother's father was stabbed in a bar fight. (gasps) But I want I was like, what's the detail of that? I know my family's not telling me the whole story. Oh, my God. And no one's ever told anybody the whole story. And he died. Yeah, how that's old was he? that's how he died. It was when my mom was twenty one. Oh my god! And it was the day she ha- she found out, and the next day she had to take her nursing test to become a licensed RN. And did she pass? Yes, she did. Isn't that weird? That's crazy. She said she didn't. Know, she has no memory of taking the test, and she doesn't know how she passed it. <gasps> she cheated. <laughs> <laughs> that's also on an- the ancestry file. Did you find anything? No, I couldn't figure out. Like it just brought up. Like a couple things And I couldn't figure out How to make it go To where I wanted Dude we gotta go To the Sacramento The Petaluma Library And get yep. some Microfish action going on It's San Francisco those, All of those people Were San Francisco style Even more fun We'll put on some Like fucking th- th- Like scary music While yeah. we do it Like Starship <laughs> What's that? You know, Star- Jefferson Airplane oh, yeah. later in the 80s became Starship, which is yeah. very, they're, they're from the Bay Area and everyone's very proud. <laughs> so they buy all their phones. <laughs> they do a lot of microfiche research. Okay, I love it. Yeah. Um, oh, that's crazy. I know. Isn't that nuts? Someone looked that up for Karen. Can you figure out how my grandpa died? <laughs> Never met him. Wow. Heard he wasn't the greatest. Okay, what's that in your hand? This is Heard he wasn't the greatest. <laughs> rumor has it, according to my mother, not the best dad. Um, that. Uh, so last episode, I was telling one of my ripoff I've survived stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in it, I referenced the I survived story. I wasn't talking about that, but it was also in the same episode about the man who was attacked by a bear and his dog, Ladybug, who, Ladybug. who, um, helped him yeah. survive. And, but I didn't know if Ladybug had survived. Yeah. And in my mind, I'd remembered it because I have watched the entire episode minimum. T- twice but i couldn't remember and he the man himself who tells the story looks sad in the face probably because he had his scalp ripped off by a bear once (laughs) i mean it's a crazy story is crazy but he just has a little bit of a like you know hmm ness to him so i was like that's a guy whose dog died that's a guy who lost all the nerves in his forehead when they sewed his fucking scalp back on it may be although what's nothing's connected up there that's why like well, I can't move mine. That's because of Botox. <laughs> you wish, see this? We should take video. Georgia trying to move her face. I'm trying to furrow my brow so hard. As an oh, example. There. Oh, ding. Oh. And then a muscle pops out of your eye. <laughs> or just the Botox comes squirting out of my forehead. <laughs> and then into face. my forehead. Yeah. And, oh, my God. Now I'm a believer. I was looking at this divot that I have in my forehead that looks, I used to call it the hatchet. Uh, wound <laughs> because it's not just a wrinkle like it's always been a deep because you furrow your brow all the crevasse. time yeah I do all kinds of stuff up here yeah but I mean I don't know I feel like this needs surgery 
to go away. <laughs> Honey, let me introduce you to the powers that are Botox. No way. Absolutely. That's this that's what it's for. Yeah. But it's deep. And I think there's like actually bone loss underneath it. How? <laughs> Did you smack your head? <laughs> no, I just keep go rubbing my finger on it like this oh, over and over. No, that, I can tell you right now. A little bit of Botox will get rid of that. Jesus you'll be Christ. Like a believer. A believer. Right. Maybe, Maybe I'll be a believer. Do, what if I do? <laughs> then suddenly I can't stop talking about Justin Bieber. Yeah. Um, what if I do Botox, but only on this, and then they leave the rest of my face aged? You can do that. Your okay. face isn't aged. Thanks, Georgia. You're welcome. Um, okay, so this is the update that we got. It says, update on the dogs of episode 125. It's from Kristen. Okay. And she says... Uh, I was pretty concerned over the fate of the dogs and the I Survive stories Karen talked about Honey, and, I'm, no. and mentioned, so I had to research. Oh. It turns out in both cases, the dogs survived. Oh my God, in both the stories. Both, right. even Ladybug, Lady she says. Bug. From the Appala- uh from the Apple- Appalachian. Appalachian. No, no, no. Appalachian. 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 Yeah, I saw you get corrected at, on Twitter for that. Sure. But uh, but also there was a couple of people who were like, every single person says it like this. That's what I imagined <laughs> in my mind that they were, how they were yelling at me. But then lots of people were like, look, no, I live don't. over here and I never heard that. Yeah. But, but we got that great tweet of a guy sent us a tweet that said, um, uh, if you say it Appalachian, oh, right. I'll throw an Appalachia. And that's it. how you know it's Appalachian. Appalachian. That's your Appalachian. <sighs> not mnemonic reminder, whatever it's called. Okay. So here's what happened. From the Appalachian Trail Killer story, Randall Lee Smith, parentheses, why are all serial killers names three words? We know the answer to that. Go ahead, tell them. because they, they're not named three words. They just include their middle name when they identify them so that Randall Smith in fucking Belmont, What's where's the place? Where's Belmont, Belmont, California? In Belmont, California, it doesn't suddenly get labeled a serial killer. Yeah, so they and he's use like the three names. I'm Randall Marie Smith. Right. Please leave me alone. <laughs> Randall Marie Smith. <laughs> Randall Marie Smith, you get up on this porch <laughs> and you stop killing people on the Appalachian Trail. Okay, so Randall Lee Smith's dog Bo. Bo oh, starving Bo. Boy dogs named Bo and la- and female dogs named Lady are like oh, the best. Dogs. Lady. Um, so Bo was adopted, though it wasn't mentioned to whom. <laughs> That'd be so weird. They give a name, yeah, a picture of the person. Here's his phone number. From an article printed at the time, quote, Randall Lee Smith was buried next to his mother at the Fairview Cemetery in Narrows. Mm-hmm. His dog Bo scratched in the dirt at the graveside <gasps> ceremony. He has since been adopted. Oh. That's like. He still loved his owner. I think that's the only person that loved Randall Lee Smith. Oh, dogs are so good. Dogs do their best. They do their best. And he was like. This is my owner who gave me fish. And then it's like, no, Scott gave you fish. Yeah. Not your owner. My owner fed me. And I just didn't look when he was doing the other stuff. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. I was taking a nap. I get distracted there anytime there's anything that smells good. Guys, or there's a squirrel. Yeah. I mean, have you met a squirrel there? It's so much fun. Have you ever been on a trail? There's a thousand squirrels. <laughs> the smells are everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. There's so much pee. Um and then, from the bear attack story on the same episode, Ladybug, who helped her save her owner from the grizzly mauling, actually did survive. Um, quote, I believe that Ladybug saved my life, the man who got attacked, who we're still not naming, said, uh, noting that the dog also survived the ordeal and is okay. Both stories have taught me to stay out of the forest forever. Stay sexy <laughs> and don't let your dog get murdered, Kristen. Aww. Good job, Kristen. Thank you for doing that research. Good job, Kristen. If I- we could all just do my research for me, be- that would be 
best. I have an, a message from my story last week about the uh, glamour girl slang. And at the very end, I talk about how there's a possible connection to one other long cold case. And I say about how the woman's the the, the murder victims 50 years after she was discovered is the Jane Doe is finally when how what am I saying? Yeah, I hear determined you. to who it is based on the great niece Okay. Remember that? She is, was like, I'm going to sleuth it. And she's right. like, and I was like, I bet she's a murderino. She messaged us. Oh, shit, girl. She says, Michelle Fowler here. Dot was my great aunt, and the MFM ladies were right. I am a quote fucking murderino. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, Michelle. That's so Just exciting. wanted to say thanks for the credit regarding solving Dot's disappearance, but it doesn't all belong to me. The doe neck work was what led me to Dot. The Boulder Sheriff's Department, Vidic Society, V I D I C Q Society, Boulder, Sylvia Petum, and a whole host of people helped identify Dot. Thank you for keeping keeping dots memory alive ssdgm awesome i know that's really cool that's so generous is it i would take all the credit v-i-d-o-c q or or o-q o-c v-i-d-i-c-q q steven lee look up and see what that is see if you can't get a phonetical pronunciation no or just see what it does what they do and who they are she's like i didn't do it alone i was i would also like to give credit um but this is not related to your case or my case this is related to um, because I'm going up north, I have to board my dogs. Uh-huh. But I've never boarded Frank before because he's from the streets. <laughs> and I've always known it wouldn't work out. And the place that I board my dogs is pretty intense. It's like one of those. It's like, this is a wonderful farm heaven where your dogs can roam free. And really? there's a water park and all this stuff. But you, they have to pass a test to be boarded it's there. It's a don't bite people at the face test? Yes. It's a, I couldn't pass that. Could you? <laughs> That's hard. It would be hard for me too. Yeah. Um, so he had to go, I dropped them off this morning and then I, I was like, but I want to leave them here because I want to leave tomorrow unless he doesn't pass the test. And I had to basically plan because yeah. George is in if Frank doesn't get into the private sweet school. little George girl is just like, I like everybody. I want to do what everybody else wants to do. And fucking Frank is like, I might bite you. Yeah. Frank's like, I don't trust anyone. Aww. I don't understand what's happening and I just want to bark. And I'm so close to the ground. I just am a little, it's a little scary. Everything is, I have to look up to see anything. And, but I don't like looking up. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he, I got the call at noon that Frank passed and they were going to let him stay. But, it was kind of sad because she said, he is a little shy, which does not sound like Frank at all. He misses you. So he's a little freaked out. But I think once he, because he's separate from George because it's big dogs, little dogs. Aww. But then I'm sure they let them come back together and then he'll, he'll be, he'll be fine. Oh my God, that's so sweet. Because he loves my dog sitter's dogs. Oh, okay. So it's not like he doesn't, he'll be fine. He'll be fine unless you get a call. You need to come pick your dog <laughs> up, ma'am. If anyone would do it, it's Frank. He is, I don't know how he does it. But he, like, is the most accident-prone. <laughs> I told you the time, I, I've told you this tw- at least twice, the time he stood up to put his head, head out the window in the car, stood on the window um, <laughs> roller downer thing, no. and began to fall out the window. And I, as we're driving down my street, I have to lean over and grab him by the tail and pull <gasps> him back into the car. I thought you were going to say he stood on the uh, window rolly thing and rolled his fucking face up into the window. No, he rolled it down and then began to fall out as I'm trying to like get somewhere. That's terrible. And that's Frank in a nutshell. Like he does things where you're like, this is like a, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine of you getting killed. And I come in at the last second and save you every time. 
Oh my god. He also anytime he stands on the couch changes the channel. <laughs> like he always knows to stand right on the clicker. I love that. He's amazing. That's adorable. Yeah. Um Oh, I want to say I have a thank you corner. Okay. Because I complained about my car key on the last episode, how it unlocked all the car doors automatically. Oh, yes. Yes. And I mean, everyone from everywhere who's ever owned a car <laughs> apparently knows that it's easy to fucking change that. Yes. And they all told me and I appreciate it. Oh, good. And they, someone even sent me like step by step directions because <laughs> <laughs> I clearly haven't done it yet. Still, I was like, great, good to know. And then I'll never do it. Right. But I appreciate that. I love that they're like, it's this easy. I know. You do this, you do this. That's what's great about this podcast. You could be like, how is this thing? And then people would be like, this is how it is. Yes. Great. I'm smarter now. The best. That's the key. Uh, We need that. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this podcast is truly about is we just pretend it's true crime and we really just get help from everyone. Yes. It's so good. Oh, um, so join the fan cult because now we're going to be posting unboxing videos. Oh, yes, because we get so many gifts in that P.O. box. Right. And they're amazing and they're from all over the place. And we have the we have the best time opening them yeah. privately. Yeah, we, we just like open them and we're all like, ooh, and ah. And then one yeah. day, last week we were like, let's do this on video. Yeah, people would like to see this because it's also all the... Like there's art that are like inside jokes that we yeah. have with you guys that you should be seeing. There's a fucking incredible skirt with Elvis. It's got the, the pattern that was made is Elvis with cookies all over it. And it's this gorgeous skirt. So if you go to join the fan cult, myfavoritemurder.com, you can join it and you'll see those videos. We'll just keep doing them. And we're thinking of more and more videos to make because we know yeah. that's like a super fun element. We're just trying to make the fan cult the thing you want it to be of like... A extra special connection thing. We, we want to do it too. We we're just like, we just have to get our shit together. Do a forum of what you'd want to see too, because we don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I just suggested something to Georgia and she's like, oh, people want to see it. I'm like, yeah, right? Yeah. Isn't that kind of what it's all about? Yeah, please. We don't know. It was just me screaming uh, naked through a field. Yeah. Two and I was like, see people that. love the way you scream. <laughs> um, <clears throat> is that it? Yes, goodbye. <laughs> Do you have anything else? Uh, go ahead, Stephen. Oh, I was going to say, I looked oh, up the vid. Cool. Oh, yeah. The vid, vid ICQ uh, society is. I want to say it's Vidoc. That's, Vidoc. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I think you're right. Yeah. But what about that other eye? Okay. I believe you. I'm, it, I'm just putting a random thing out there. I agree. It, it's basically like a, a, the, a venue where like minded persons in and out of forensics would mm. gather to discuss and debate crimes and mysteries. Mm. So it was established in 1990 by, um, it doesn't say their name, but people who worked in the U.S. Customs uh, Service Special Agency. Customs? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, founded by William Fleischer, Frank Bender, and Richard Walter. What does VSM mean? Does that mean like FBI? Uh, or they're forensic? priests. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Three priests that work for customs. Cool. Yeah, look at them. Let's see. Are they nerds? Yes, yeah, so I've definitely seen this place before because yeah it's basically people who have uh, oh. experience and education in forensics that get together and go how do we maybe solve these and crimes? everyone can bring one like a cold case and be like can we do this one i need we need help with this exactly they have to you have cool. to bring a, a cold case and a bottle of vodka <laughs> top shelf and by the time the bottle of vodka is finished the cold case is solved yes learning things okay do you go first this week or do I go first? I think I went first last week, which was four days ago. Right. I had to wait to drink till you were done. 
God damn that it. That sucked. <laughs> um, Am I? Should I sit on this blanket because of things? Yes, that is a barf couch. Got it. That is a cat barf couch. Is it bothering you? No, I can. I just don't want to get a hot butt. Oh, is it a warm butt? Um, Not right now. I'm fine. I was just like, I'll pull it out if not, but it doesn't matter. It's just embarrassing. I don't want to sit in barf. This is great. <laughs> I mean, it's old barf. It is. How old? Well, how do you clean barf off? Everyone, how do you clean barf She's off the couch? screaming at me. You <laughs> no, heard I'm it. embarrassed. You heard it. Now I have a hot face. <laughs> I'm sorry. We can take all this out. No, I don't. Hot <laughs> face shit. and a hot butt like on one three show? Three fucking cats. Clearly, my house is going to be disgusting. Uh, I am okay with that. Okay. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder and here's the important note that promo code is all lowercase so go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level that's shopify.com slash murder again don't forget the code is all lowercase goodbye georgia have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant like perfectly scrambled eggs. Oh my God. Yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. What was I going to say? Okay. All right. Um, so, <laughs> as you are and I survived retailer, yes. this week I'm going to be a Confessions Tapes retailer. <gasps> Whoa, people write to us about, you have to watch that all the time. Yeah. 
it's really good. And I started watching it when it first came out. It's like, this is exciting. But I, but it turns out that people falsely confessing and people being wrongly, uh, commit, you know, wrongly accused and wrongly all this shit really upsets me in yes. a way that I can't handle it. So I stopped watching them. Like I've started watching like half of them and they're really fucking troubling. Yes. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's like this man spent 25 years in hell. Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. And the person. Yeah. It, it's really, really troubling, but it's a really well done show. It's on Netflix. The confession tapes. If you can handle that shit, go for it. So the other night I was bored and I was like, all right, there's one of these I've never tried to watch. I'm going to try to watch it. And I ended up being like blown the fuck away by awesome. this story. Okay, cool. And it's in Michigan. So I was like, Vince, do you remember this? And he's like, yeah, this because this was a huge fucking story in Michigan. Okay. That I had never even heard of. All right. So this is the case of Lawrence or Larry Delisle. Mm. Yeah. This is one of those cases. It's really reminiscent of Susan Smith and Aunt Diane. It also kind of reminds me of those stories of like people who leave their kids in cars and like, did they or didn't they do it on purpose? Those crazy stories. Yeah. All right. So here we go (laughs) on the evening. It's also sad, but here we go. On the evening of August 3rd, 1989, I was stop to like get my bearings and <laughs> yeah right because you have to picture it yeah 89 i was i was living in sacramento yeah i was, it was nine <sighs> right you were nine and like you know everything's this and that you're in the 80s here we are late 80s past the mtv era now we're into some we're into more of everyone's trying to be more new yorky more oh yeah high brow mac makeup brown lipstick yeah might be a bit early for that but yeah i think it's a more duran duran kind of thing going on yeah but that's the sun is setting on duran duran okay so it's the evening of august 3rd 1989 lawrence we're gonna call him larry larry delisle d-e-l-i-s-l-e of lincoln park which is a suburb outside of detroit and your favorite band that's fucking right (laughs) (laughs) long live lincoln park uh took his family out on a drive. So they're in the station wagon. Um, Larry's 28 years old. He has a steady job as a mechanic. He mainly works on brakes and from the front end. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the front part of the car. Front end of a car. Sure. All right. Uh, and just as his father had done before him. So the car that the Delisle family is driving that night is a Ford LTD station wagon. Mm-hmm. And it had belonged to Larry's dad, but two, about two years, less than two years earlier, his dad had killed himself in the car, shot himself in the fucking head in the car. And they kept the car and it, they even had like still had blood stains in the car that they couldn't no. wash out. No. So, yeah, they kept That's the car. Horrifying. But, you know, they're he makes like four fifty an hour and they have four kids. It's not like they have the money to then go buy a car. True. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it, the emotional Yes. I, I get like it's a necessity and yet the emotional toll of that is right. awful. It's like not really here nor there in the story. It's just this crazy. It, it, maybe it is. Who knows? Right. So that night, the family, it's wife, Su- the wife is Suzanne, eight year old Brian, four year old Catherine, two year old Melissa and eight month old Emily. I know. Mm-hmm. Went to town. They went to town of uh, Wyandotte which is a word um <laughs> which is part of the area known as down river okay and they go into shop for bedroom furniture for the girls and they get ice cream at the local frozen custard shop which Ooh, i know from vince is, is a thing good in fucking michigan yeah. for like a little while there was a frozen custard shop at the beverly center oh it was down by macy's yeah. kind of in a corner no i never went oh 
It's, How is it different? It's just thicker? Yeah, because it's frozen yogurt's like the diet version. Yeah. Frozen custard is like the Full fatty, fat. fatty, fatty version. Fuck yeah. And it is good. Man, any kind of fucking soft serve, I'm on board. Same. This is like soft, if they if they put butter in soft <gasps> serve. I mean, there's something to it where you're just like, this is the best thing Walking ever. Walking somewhere with a soft serve cone is like my fucking dream. Did you guys have Foster's Freeze in Orange County? No, but they have them here and Vince makes me go to them sometimes. There's like one left in like Glendale or Burbank. Right. It's in Glendale. Yeah. Because that's that was kind of the main, you could, you know, after school we would just walk around downtown Petaluma yeah and there was a foster's freeze i don't know what it is now but it was a li- like a walk-up window with a little screen and you go up and like be that. like half and half dipped and then <laughs> walk around with this ice cream no we were we were fucking she she waspy neighborhood so we had heidi's frozen yogurt no it was called heidi's what was it called hold on heidi's rich lady frozen yogurt. yeah do you remember i just remember golden spoon Golden Spoon we yeah. had. There was like a penguin. pretty on the nose. Yeah. I know yeah. penguins. Okay. It was just um, sushi. Yeah. You know, diet stuff. Okay. Well, everyone thought it was diet. It's so <laughs> not diet. Yeah. It's so not. Okay. Custard chop. <laughs> so, according to Larry, the, uh, as they left the ice cream shop, one of the daughters said, Let's, can we go see the boats again, daddy? And uh, they had done so the night before as well. So what she meant by that was that she wanted to drive. They dr- would drive down to the end of Eureka Road, which was a dead end street. And right when you got to the dead end street, um, there was a, like a wood and metal little barricade mm-hmm. and then a couple feet of grass. And then it went right into the Detroit River. Okay. So there was like really nothing keeping you from just walking right into the Detroit river. Right okay. There. But they would pull up to the end to that spot in the car. And because the Detroit river is one of the busiest border crossings in the world for cargo boats. Wow. Um, yeah, I know smart. <laughs> uh, you normally can see boats go by and it was at night and all the boats were lit up. And so the little kids would be like, we the boats or whatever. Right. Which sure. is like, that makes sense. And when yeah. I was a kid, we used to do a thing called we, we would, when we would leave my aunt's house, which was in like a palace Verdes, we'd go over a hill and you could see the city light up and we'd go, the lights of the city. <laughs> it was like our favorite thing. Oh, you know, kids yeah. like stupid shit. They're real dumb. Yeah. The good stuff. Yeah. So the youngest daughter, Emily though, who's eight months old, she's teething though and starts to cry. So they're like, let's get the fuck out of here. So they head out, but first they stop in at a drugstore that was around the corner. And when they leave, according to Larry, he misjudged his turn and instead goes back in the direction of the dead end. Mm, I don't like that. Mm -mm. Larry says he'd been having leg cramps and pain all day in his calf. And he had taken off his shoes while he drove because of it. And he said he suddenly had a very painful leg cramp and it caused his foot to stomp down on the gas. And he had to reach down and manually, like almost like a Charlie horse where you can't move your leg, Mm -hmm. had to manually pull his leg off the gas. But he said that even when he he had done so, the car didn't slow down, that the accelerator had stuck for some reason. Okay. So those two things, this is what happened. Now, I will say this. Uh, one time I was driving my sister's 1968 Mustang up D Street in Petaluma, mm-hmm. and the accelerator pedal dropped to the ground, yeah. and suddenly I was going 70 miles an hour down. I feel like that's happened to me before. Yeah, on older cars, like that, yeah. it, it was the craziest thing. And as I was driving, like, uh, Increasingly, was oh, there sorry. a train coming Haunted at the train. same time? I was right on the train tracks. Oh my god! And then, 
honk honk. Um, no, god damn it, that would have been cool. But I basically was accelerating to the point where I was like, I'm gonna run this stop sign. <gasps> like it was crazy. And then I, <laughs> I got <laughs> and my the train was and coming. Then the train was coming. I got my foot under and kicked it back up. Holy shit! You had to like flip it. Yes, and I don't. I think I've always been a little bit stuck up because of that moment. Oh, you're so smart. Where instead of panicking, yeah. I was like, you have to fix this because I was in a racing car toward death. Isn't it crazy to think about like what you would have done? I mean, yes. my brother once was in a car with his friend who started having a seizure on the freeway while he was driving. No. And I had to climb over him and like get on, <gasps> like get pull the car over. Fuck. I know. And I'm like, Asher, you are a fucking, like, you're a monster. You're a Superman. Because you know that's my that is like why I used to have oh, panic attacks. God. My first panic attack was driving seventy miles an hour down up the one the one oh one and all of a sudden it hit me. You could have a seizure at any moment. I could have a seizure at any moment and kill myself and everybody around me. And I I mean, mm. I had a panic attack that like I didn't drive on the freeway for four years. It was crazy. I, was I've bad. always I've always or lately theor or once I theorized that the reason I always move in with boyfriends immediately is because the one seizure I've ever had was in my sleep. Oh yeah. <laughs> So I don't want to fucking sleep alone. Yeah. You know, that was after my seizures. Thank God. My boyfriend, Kevin, at the time was so good. He I, I slept with him every night. And he had to talk me to sleep every night because oh. I would the second I lay down, I would start having panic attacks. That I was terrifying. Uh, it's so fucked up. That sucks, dude. But I, I want to introduce this. So I believe that story as much as I do not believe that story. Right. Because how fucking That's this convenient. whole story. I mean, you and I are going to have like we have to decide. OK, great. Because it's yeah. That Right now it's like, yeah, I see that story happening. Yeah. All right. This is a bummer. Here and we go. And it happened to me once. I know. But not the cramp part. I don't like the cramp part. It doesn't jibe. But if you get the... I feel like an older car, if you push the, pa- the the accelerator all the way to the ground, that's a place where it could get stuck. So the leg cramp pushing it to the ground might be a good... Like, makes sense because it's not like you just tapped on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Although I was just... Not that it's all exactly the same every time. Do it. But when I was... When I was going 30 miles an hour, so only lightly tapped my mm-hmm. foot, that thing dropped as if a a piece of metal had broken yeah. and didn't come back up. So it was, it wasn't about force. Yeah. It was like a thing down there, a spring broke. Yeah. Whatever it was. So I, I have a lot of opinions, but I, I don't know where to put them. <laughs> It's on this podcast. You is the answer. Me. You tell me. <laughs> no, the opinions go on this podcast. <laughs> um, okay. So then, then wait, hold on. The accelerator was stuck. Meanwhile, on the top. Okay. So meanwhile, let's cut to the top floor of a high rise apartment building that was directly next to the dead end street. Uh, and, and also looked over the Detroit River. It's like this pretty brick old apartment building so their self-confessed nosy neighbor beverly lake was out on her balcony that night where she had mounted a high-powered binoculars on (laughs) a tripod beverly is a fucking nosy nelly yes i am too about her nosiness beverly's husband once said to her you know if you keep doing this someday you're gonna witness a murder Mm mm-hmm and she's like, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Right. So she's on the 11th floor, it's top top floor. She has a bird's eye view of both Eureka Street and 
the dead, the dead end in the lake. The night before, she had witnessed and commented to her father, who was with her, about the Delisle family car, the station wagon, had pulled up there and was idling in front of the river, as he said they had done it the night before to mm-hmm. look at the boats. And when the car first came to the river that night, she noticed it again. So when they first came and then they were like, fuck this shit, let's get out of here. So by her account... About 20 minutes after first seeing the car that night, at about 9.20 p.m., she hears a, quote, terrible roar and saw the station wagon head straight towards the barrier, full speed, followed by uh, here, seeing the Delisle station wagon crack through the barrier. It becomes airborne and crashes like 30 to 50 feet into the water. Fuck. Yeah. And she says she never heard it slow down once. She heard the accelerator as it was flying through the air. Wow. Um, and she hears Suzanne, uh, the mom, scream as the car goes into the river. Oh, God. It's really terrible. The car ends up about 90 feet down s- south of the river because of the current. And it's 30 fucking feet deep. Shit. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I did not expect it to be that deep. So when the um, search and rescue arrive, and there's video of this, I mean, watch the confession tapes. It's troubling. Um, They see the taillights are still visible of the car. (sighs) I know. And they find Lauren, Larry and Susan had escaped the car through the blown out front window. So when they hit the water, the front windshield blew out. They swam out. But all four children were trapped in their seats, still in the car at the bottom of the river. And they were pulled out, you know, hours of CPR were done, but sadly, none of the four children survived. Oh, God. And, okay. Police question Larry that night. He tells the investigators about, says something was stuck in the gas pedal. He was thinking that maybe his shoe had come loose and hit it. But police didn't buy his leg cramp story, especially when the doctors at the hospital couldn't find anything wrong with his leg at all. Also... For some reason, they were like, this is insane. Like, we just want to leave and go to Florida on vacation and get out of here. Like, no, bad move. Yeah. But she supports Suzanne supports him 100 percent. And is like, that's exactly what happened. He didn't do it on purpose. This was an accident. You know, Okay, that's good. Yeah. So she stands by him. But of course, the fucking media goes bananas. It's a small town. Everyone knows each other. And the media eats it up. It's super sensational. Um, they even show the the dead children being carried out of the Detroit River. No, they, I saw it. It's oh, horrible, no. and, and it's, that's like when people see that they go bananas. It's an emotional reaction, and the police who were there that night helping also have this anger and emotional reaction to these dead children. Yeah, kind of a someone needs to be blamed for this kind of way. Of course, it's really fucking awful. There's one guy who's like is being passed one of the children on a boat, and his eyes just looked insane in this way of like this isn't really happening he's clearly gonna have ptsd after it's really fucking awful i mean that's the also that's the part of this first the job of first responders yeah. that never gets talked about where like they see horrible things they see horrible things every goddamn yeah. day they had my mom told me once and i won't tell the specifics of it because it's it's truly horrible and i wish she hadn't told me Aye. but my dad saw something early on and she said he had nightmares about it he would wake up with nightmares a, about it as a fireman as a fireman uh-huh. because they do a lot of resuscitations they don't just yeah. do fires it's yeah. like you know when you call 911 the fire department is the one that comes um yeah and he just saw some pretty awful things in like in uh in 
that happened to children yeah and um that he just had nightmares about it for years and years and it kind of didn't go away so it yeah the impact is terrible it also makes me think of the community meeting that we talk about all the time the golden state killer Mm -hmm. when the guy stand up stands up and says there's no way Mm -hmm. that if a man's in the house he's going to let an intruder attack his wife yeah it's that thing i'm sure people said it was i don't want to step on this if this is what's about to happen how can you escape a yes. car that your children are still in. Yes. How can you swim away from that car? Yes. And so I'm still on the fence about his guilt or innocence. Oh. So there is that argument, which I don't, we, you and I both have talked this many times. It's like you, you can't understand how people are going to react to things. Right. You know, they both swim to the surface, but apparently he doesn't know how to swim either. Oh, so let me get it. Yeah. We'll okay, talk about okay, it. Yeah. But yeah, you're Sorry. right. You know, I jumped it. I jumped it. No, 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 no. It's true. I mean, it's 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 and when I first watched the confession tapes, I was like, he's so fucking innocent. This is all bullshit. He did it on accident. But the more I researched it in the past ten hours, um, <laughs> the more I'm like, I don't know. Okay, all right. So, um, okay, the media goes crazy, and um, they show the video also of the station wagon. It's this dramatic video of the station wagon being plucked out of the river, and the media starts stalking staking out the Delisle house until five days after the crash when Larry and Susan agree, Suzanne agree to do an interview. So, so he looks like a not as intelligent, uh, kind of pudgier Ted Bundy. Oh, okay. He looks like a, a working man's Ted Bundy. Okay. Um, and she looks like every, I think, Midwestern mom, Okay, you know? So, um, so they're sitting on their little porch in front of their little house on lawn chairs and um, surrounded by reporters and cameras. They seem super dazed, but there's no emotion. They're just, you know, not reacting at all. And the fact that their kids had just four kids had just been killed. Yeah, they're especially probably him. Probably in shock. Well, later, Larry says that he had taken two Valium before the interview, which um, is why he seems so calm. And he's like, I fucking shouldn't have done that. But it's also how we say, like, you never know how you can't ever know how you're going to react in situations and sometimes it's not how people want you to react well and that's why right yeah it's like how people are slowly learning that and how the press the press wants the story and the press wants the thing that's going to sell magazines or these days get clicks which is emotions yes raw emotions exactly so it's like get in here and suddenly it's do you see the blue dress or the gold dress it's is this guy innocent or guilty it's up to you but then they'll be like she's too emotional those emotions are fake they don't seem right they seem forced so there's no fucking way to win no there's no i mean i think the way to win is like why are these people speaking to the press days after four of their children died yeah that's you don't have why are the press hounding them after their children just died well it's a yeah i mean jesus because i think a lot of people in the community are like how could they let yeah how could they let their kids drown there i would never let that happen so everyone was like fired up about it yeah so um they talked casually about the crash saying they didn't know what had happened they didn't express any emotion or feeling um of course makes the public even more pissed off about them um on august 10th 1989 couple days so a couple days after the crash was that an earthquake no, there's someone on the tennis court. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's an earthquake of people playing good tennis really well. That's stupid. Okay. <laughs> so Larry's brought in for questioning and a polygraph test by Sergeant John Paul Mater of Michigan State Police. All right. Paul Mater is known in law enforcement law enforcement community for extracting confessions from people, Uh-oh. which is a good. They're all like, "That's a great thing." Okay, he's like, "I can pull a rabbit out of a hat." Right, right? in their minds, he's super good at it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so this dude, in, he's interviewed in the confession tapes. Listen, I'm not judging, I'm not putting any judgment on whether or not the guy is guilty or innocent, you know, conf- conf- got a fake confession or not, or if he's a good cop or not. I'm not saying any of that. He is a fucking douche. <laughs> like, <Is he? laughs> like n- not judgment on anything, but that fact that he is a fucking cocky douche. And okay. I really don't like him. Okay. But at one point he says to uh, Larry, I- I've just been given a gift to look deeper into people than anyone ever thought possible to do. Like, he's just hmm. really into himself. And he, in saying that, he believes that? When he's yeah. saying that? Oh, yeah. Okay. And that's odd that he's he talks about how he's a Zen master and how he can pass a lie detector test himself. So he starts. So this is just one of those confession tapes that are really problematic. He starts to make Larry believe that he's crazy and maybe he did do it on purpose, but just didn't realize it. One of those like, you know, your subconscious mind took over and Ugh. you were overwhelmed by the stress of, you know, your baby was crying. It was a hot night and maybe you're, you're not a monster. I know you're not a monster, you know? Yeah. And if you tell me that you did it subconsciously, then we'll know that, you know. Um, and and he, he has so much sway because this is a man who's lost his four children. He's lost his four children he also has a 10th grade education mm. so he's you know at one Me point too <laughs> at one point you know he says like larry's like i must have been a monster if i had done it and this guy goes oh that's very astute of you to realize that and he goes what the, what's astute like he doesn't know yeah what's going on um and he lies to him he says like when we say something is done on purpose does that mean there's pre-planning like did you do it on purpose was it an accident but it was you know telling him oh he was like it it really took courage to do what you did like even making him feel like he empathizes with him or is on his side yeah okay um and so during the interrogation it starts to look like larry's nodding off and like he's hypnotized almost oh. in this like trance-like state. And I think it the videotape is eight hours, but they interrogate him for 12 hours. Jesus Christ. No lawyer. Um, and during the interrogation, Larry cooperates. He seems to be getting along amiably with Sergeant uh, Palmater. While Palmater talks to Larry, Larry seems to be in this trance, hypnotized. He does the whole thing of... Uh, Paul Mader does like, I can totally understand why you did this and you're a victim too. Just trying to get him to like agree. Yeah. And the whole time Larry's like, I can't, this can't be true. Like questioning it himself. Like maybe it is. He seems to have no effect or personality. Just kind of closes his eyes to the ordeal. He seems to start parroting back the suggestions that this guy, that Paul Metter had said to him, which is a big thing about forced uh, confessions is parroting back what that person told, you know, said might've happened like word for word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it turns, it leads the police to say that they got a confession from him, even though there's no real confession happening. After that night, that same night, after 12 hours of interrogation, Delisle is charged with four counts of first-degree murder and the deaths of his children and one count of attempting to murder his wife. (sighs) Police release a statement to the media right away saying that Larry confessed to the intentionally driving his car into the river and killing his children, even though he really didn't say that. They also say that he attempted to... Oh, he also, during his interrogation, I guess, says that he had attempted to blow up his house once eight years earlier by leaving a candle burning near a gas leak in the basement while his wife and son were asleep, which I don't fucking that makes no sense to me. Like, why would you confess that unless it's tr- like that is so specific? 
Well, unless it's planted somehow or there's some... Or he did it on accident once. Or he's just putting... If he's in a weird trance-like state, I mean, who knows yeah. what got suggested or what got what got floated that then kind of popped up in his mind. I mean, this is a fascinating... That idea of like of a uh, uh, coerced confession or false confession, yeah. it's such a fascinating thing. What the brain can will do, yeah, and what you start agreeing to when you're under duress and yeah. all that stuff. It really does look like he's in a trance or hypnotized. It's really creepy. It's so weird. Um, so also, both of these ways of having people die, even if you're a psychopath or sociopath are so awful like yeah. having people blow up where you're not guaranteed that everyone's going to die people get yeah. just terribly injured and you have to take care of them yeah. the rest of your life like you're putting your car with yourself in it yeah. that's the part and you that, don't know how to swim you don't know how to swim you're fucking in the car yeah your wife's in the car yeah she can swim out easily it's yeah it doesn't make it t- it's not easy it's not the cleanest way to do something no and like if he was intending to do it he did he know it was 30 feet deep and how far the car, how long it would take for someone to come get the kid like they could have all survived for all he knew yeah, they could have float hit the thing and floated exactly or, yeah right or they're you know all right all right so did he so quotes from the confession they take quotes from the confession to give to the media but without the content so when he's almost like asking what if i did do you know like they take those quotes and put them out there without any context um or subtext and the context pu- context yeah the public is outraged and can't understand how an average joe you know a, t- a store manager at a mechanic place with no criminal record could do something like this and they are fucking pissed about it since the accident um suzanne is stuck by larry's side and through the trial she does as well she uh it leads the public to wonder if she is in on the murder plot maybe for the fucking insurance money and she can't go out in public without people yelling obscenities at her. And her, she's called night and day with threatening phone calls. Fuck. She just lost her four fucking children. That's why they went out of town. Yeah. That's why they went out of town. Yeah. Now it makes sense. Yeah. You want right. to get away from all these fucking, like... It's also, like, do you want to go back home right now to those bedrooms where your four children are sleeping God. and see all their toys and shit and know they're never coming home? Like, I, don't, I wouldn't want to go home. No I way. I want to go to a hotel or something and not have to... But then I will devil's advocate and say they got into that death station wagon. I mean, Good point. just to do that. Good point. Uh, but still, yeah. uh, but then with the house part, it has to be two people agreeing. Like it has to yeah. be, I don't know. Oh, anyway. I don't either. So for months leading up to the trial, the story is regularly in the paper and the news and new details are constantly released, such as suggestions that the family was in debt there that they argued all the time and of course how creepy it is that the family kept the car that larry's dad shot himself in and had blood stains in still yeah uh eventually the confession and interrogation video is thrown out uh by the trial judge whose name is robert colombo jr <laughs> which is like the best fucking coolest name i've ever heard robert colombo jr mm-hmm. mm-hmm. colombo he makes goods put like pasta sauce yeah we're calling him colombo now okay who ruled that the video which is great the video was an involuntary statement so the video's thrown the fuck out so he's seeing the same thing you're seeing of yeah. like this there's he's just talking this isn't like, this is not a confession yeah, yeah. um but Colombo rejects the idea of moving the case out of town. So it's been this crazy huge news story. People are emotionally fucking attached to this story too, right? And five of the 
people who eventually got picked to be on the jury admitted that they had heard all about the confessions and had been following the case, which how can you not? It's like your town. It's crazy. It's the biggest story in your town. But they pinky swore or whatever that they wouldn't let it affect their decision. Come on. And I'm like, Columbo, you just wanted the fucking notoriety. You didn't want it to be moved because you wanted to stay in the middle of it. Yeah, it's hard because on one hand, you're like, great, he's like making a fair ruling about the confession tape, but that's fucking insane. That's the whole point of why we move trials is so that you can get a jury that's as unbiased as possible. They're going home that night and the fucking... On the news is the trial story. Well, and also these are all the same people who real time watch dead children be pulled from the river. Exactly. They're traumatized yep. themselves. There that affects you. So like, they need some you just need someone to be held responsible. Yes. And you have a you have a wound now that you need healed that kind of is yeah. And that's so many people in that town or the even that area. Right. And all their friends who come over for dinner or that they see in the grocery store all want the same thing. Yeah. So um, when the case went to trial in June, Wayne County prosecutor Kevin Simoski also not talking about his fucking career or him at all, except <laughs> that he seems like a fucking douche. Again, he seems like he's from Animal House, like he's a Dan Aykroyd character, oh. even with the fucking the Dan Aykroyd accent thing he's it's just so it's just rates on my nerves i'm not saying anything about him can we say can i just say that dan Aykroyd was not in animal house is that Uh, yeah i figured i got that wrong (laughs) but he reminds me of one of those how about a a belushi yes okay he reminds me of he's like a belushi Aykroyd style uh you know Come kind on, of, guys. I, everyone's guilty. You know, he, he looked like, um, he just looked so 80s back then. It's just, 80s and Chicago accent? Or yeah. like that Midwestern accent? Yeah. A lot of flat A's. Yeah. And he was real showy and flashy and... <sighs> yeah. Pinky ring? Probably. Okay. I'm going to guess. I'm going to say yes to the pinky ring. Okay. Um, he argued that Larry was a troubled man, drowning in debt, feeling burdened by life and his by his wife and kids. Actually, in confession tapes there's a funny larry's interviewed in it and you can hear it's just his voice you know from from prison oops gave that one away um and he says you know the the when he was trying to coerce the confession he was like you know your daughter's crying in the back seat and you just snapped and larry's like i had four children who cried constantly yeah if i were gonna kill snap at a crying kid i would have you know done it three kids ago exactly yeah (laughs) you know that's true which is i think a good point um he, Samowski argued that Larry deliberately planned the crash and fully intended to die along with the rest of his family that night. So his thing was that it was like a murder-suicide attempt. Oh, wow. Okay. Defense attorney Frank um, Eman, 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 He-Man, <laughs> claimed... <laughs> he had a blonde page boy, right? It was weird, yeah. yeah. Um, Eman, I bet, claimed the car was defective, that Delisle was not guilty. He told reporters that the only reason Larry, quote, confessed to the crime was because police wore him down during the interrogation, with, again, no attorneys present, and basically brainwashed him and gave him a kind of nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. And Which would be very easy to do for a man who's just lost his four fucking children. Just lost his children, not as intelligent as the person who's doing the questioning. Yeah. You know? He says they erased... Larry's real memory and planted a new idea into his head, one that held him responsible. Because also in the question tapes, he's like, yes, I'm a piece of shit. I hate myself for the rest of my life. I killed my children. Yeah. But not saying he did it on purpose. Like, he was blaming himself, too. Right. So he, you know, he was like, 
you, wanting you, to take on the responsibility. Of course he was. Yeah. If it if if he didn't do it and it was as he said, he's still it's still as bad because he's fucked for life. He's fucked for life. Yeah. And his poor wife and everything, mm. you know. Um okay, the trial lasted I just wrote 8. <laughs> I'm gonna think eight days. Eight long minutes. Eight. The trial lasted eight mm-hmm. days with more than two dozen witnesses called to testify, including nosy neighbor Beverly Lake, who said that the crash, quote, we saw something that was carefully planned. She described the cash, the crash as the most deliberate act she's ever seen <laughs> and that the car proceeded in a straight path between the barricades without swerving or deviating and that there were no apparent signs of breaking which is like yes that's what he said yes she thinks she's corroborating what he says and she thinks it proves that he's guilty well she's just she's just juicing it up and pretending that her vantage point yeah. from a building an 11 story building however many yards away means that she knows the intention totally. of what's happening I mean that's crazy that she's, they let her even say it she's like the main witness too they did, were like so happy when they got her, which is like, did the defense ripper? I mean, like, I don't think so. I don't shit. know. I know it's really like, it's really problematic. I'd be like, and she's interviewed during this show too, and you, and you want to be like, yell at her, but she thinks she, she did thinks something she's good. Right. She thinks she did a good thing. If I would work for the defense, I would have been like, uh, rebut your honor, Beverly. How many pairs of binoculars do you have? Eleven <laughs> yeah. pairs of binoculars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and an expert in accident reconstruction. So there's a whole problem with the way they tested the car too. Sergeant uh, Weldon Greek Greiger testified that the car travel had to travel about 40 feet uh, at about 40 to 47 miles per hour. So that's how fast it went. Okay. A man named Brian Ross, he was in a boat on the river that night. Oh, shit. So he saw the car go underwater and he testifies that the car went under in a matter of seconds and that Larry surfaced quickly right above where the car had gone under and that Larry didn't say anything when he got out there. He never went under the water again and he was just sitting there treading water. Um, And Suzanne popped up down river. So she, you know, panicked or tried to get one of the kids, maybe who knows, popped up down river and was hysterical when she got up there mm-hmm. and said that she was spitting out water and screaming my babies and then she tried to go back underwater so she did what i think most of us would have done yes and he didn't and that is problematic but he well, also but didn't know how to swim and he you know he, maybe he didn't know how to swim but he could tread water uh, yeah i don't know that's that's weird yeah that is weird but also it, it he could also have been in sh- in full shock totally and like he could have been uh like his hearing was out right he, he could have just like not known where he was sure and been completely who knows what happened when that when that car hits the water he could have slammed his head on the steering yeah. wheel i mean it hit it with enough force to break out the windshield yeah um the expert car witness for the prosecution said that nothing had been wrong with the car despite the fact that the choke stuck once in 21 tests on the car so they tested it 21 times and then one time um the like something happened where they, it stuck or it was revving up in neutral yeah. the accelerator was still going in neutral after that one time in 21 they tested it one more time and then stopped the tests so that happened like at, at try 20 and they were like no it's fine like they wouldn't keep testing it because they didn't want 
you know, the outcome of something's wrong with the car. Right. And that doesn't seem fair. No, it doesn't. And also the arresting officer, he was on the stand, the jury stand or the jury stand. He was on the stand, witness stand, Mm -hmm. because on the top of his notepad during a test ride with police, he wrote, quote, accelerator sticking. And then during the trial, he swore under oath that he had no idea why he wrote that. It was just happened to be there. Come on. I know. So Suzanne testified that the car's engine had raced in the past, including sometimes while they were in the car. One defense witness, mechanic James Cokewell, testified that the car's accelerator cable was bent. Its engine mounts were cracked, which pulls the accelerator cable and causes the accelerator to stick. That's what it happens when that when i guess engine mounts are cracked okay i'm not a car person we should become car we should let's make this into a car podcast (laughs) call it car talk perfect (laughs) become men yeah and one of its throttle plates appeared to stick so i'm sure that means something to someone Mm -hmm. um the jury deliberated almost nine hours over two and a half days which is like three hours a day you know it's not (laughs) big of a deal uh Deputies were brought into court, like into the courthouse and outside to stand guard in case of a fucking riot when the when the verdict got read. Oh, my God. Because that's how crazy the fucking town was about this case. I bet. You know, Um, and the jury found Larry guilty on all counts. At sentencing, Colombo said that he had serious questions about whether the proceedings had been fair. So even he was like, I call bullshit on this. And probably if it had been a, what is it called? The bench trial, which means the judge is the judge, not jury. jury. Yeah. Yeah. Then he probably would have been let off. Wow. When they did try to get one and it was denied. Right. Because Uh, he fucking left it in at the center of the crime. Right. Wait, what? Like that he left it in town. Right. So... Of course, they're. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of leaving in town, right? Then all the people in town come yeah. and give their opinion. That's right. Um, and he, so Larry's sentenced to five concurrent terms in life prison. Shit. About five years after his sentencing, Suzanne and Larry divorced. He says it's because he looked so much like their children. It was just too hard for her. She was heartbroken, clearly, and she's fallen off the radar. Let's not try to find her. Never. Please. Um, defense, this is defense attorney Frank Eamon now wishes that the confession tape had gone into trial and they had been able to see it because it wouldn't, it would have shown how much Larry had been broken down and coerced. Mm-hmm. So if only they could have seen it. Yeah. You know, um, and Larry's case is taken to the Supreme Court, but they denied to hear it and he's exhausted all his appeals. So the only change would have to come if the governor uh, said so. Really? Of Michigan. Yeah. And that's the case of Larry Delisle and his poor family. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is why I don't watch shows like Confession Tapes. Yeah. I'm going to fucking think about Larry Delisle and the did he or didn't he for the rest of my life yeah. now. And it won't matter because his fucking poor children are still dead. They're dead either way. Yeah. And it won't matter because, yeah, it, it, I'm sure there's part of him. Say, let's just say best case scenario. He's the best case scenario is that he's innocent, but that he was put away Yeah, because he was coerced. But he still wanted to be put away. Yeah. Because this horrible thing happened. Like, it's troubling. I, I love did they or didn't they cases, but it's when someone didn't get a fair trial or have false confessions or were like fucking, you know, railroaded somehow that those are the ones I can't stand. Yeah. 
Well, when it's not clear in a place where like you would want, and this is, you know, what, what is why this is that such a topic of conversation these days is because we've all kind of like blindly assumed this is done correctly. This is the place where things are done correctly. Right. It's a court system. You're going to get what you deserve. Yep. Either it's good all or bad. very, look, you got a lawyer. This is how it, you know, yeah. it's all that shit where it's like, oh no, no. This yeah. is one of the most fucked up systems. There's fucked up shit happens all the time. And we only know now we're, or we're, you know, slowly learning of like the, the way police do things and how things can't be allowed yeah. and you have to have your lawyer there. Yeah. That's the reason it's the law. It doesn't make you guilty if you ask for a lawyer immediately. It doesn't make you guilty if you don't cry on camera. Right. Or, you know, but who knows? Maybe he is guilty. Also, just the idea that they showed dead children Ugh. on the news is just like that should never be allowed. No, it's so terrible. No, never. Wow. Yeah. Good one. Thank you. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Uh, okay. Well, so my uh my case this week um is one that i actually started when we were on the european tour mm -hmm. and was going to do uh on that uh didn't we have a day off in stockholm wasn't there yeah a little extra time yes, there yes so i started it and then had enough time to second guess myself mm, love it and was like this is too new yeah and this might actually be a bummer. I think I was particularly worried about the Nor the shows in Norway and Stockholm. That's right, you were. Because I was like, they're not going to speak English. <laughs> they're going to hate us. I made up all these things of what they were going to do. And then they were like the best audiences. Yeah, they were great. Who spoke better English than us. Yeah. Um, and were hilarious. Yes. Um, okay. So anyway, but it turned everything was as it was supposed to be. But I really, really want to tell the story. We talked about it when it happened real time last year. Oh, I know what you're doing. It's the murder of Swedish, uh, journalist, freelance journalist, Kim Wall. Oh my God. And because it's so new and because it's when, um, cases are this new, it's just a series of newspaper articles that mm -hmm. everybody's getting their information from. Mm -hmm. So, um, most of these, most of what I have here are quotes and polls from articles from the BBC News. Cause okay. BBC News was all over this and seemed like they and were covering so it. They're so smart too. They're so British. They're yeah. smart, but they're calm. Yeah. They know how to line up. Yeah. And, you know, tea. Um, <laughs> Don't ask any questions about tea. Yeah, exactly. So we'll just talk about 
Kim Wall for a second. Okay. So her name was Kim Isabel Frederica Wall, and she was born March 23rd, 1987, um, to her parents, Ingrid and Joachim Wall, in a close-knit community in the small town of Trelleborg in southern Sweden. Ooh. Um, and uh, she graduated from high school. She was obviously super brilliant because listen to, listen to this college career that I was like, God, that's a lot of homework. <laughs> um, she studied international relations at the London School of Economics. I bet they're smart. It's hard to get in there. I don't understand numbers. You have to have so many. <laughs> um, what do they call those? Numbers. <laughs> So many numbers in your pocket. Uh-huh. Um, you have to do a pounds. lot of what? You have to have a lot of pounds. To yeah, play. you have your parents have to have pounds, uh-huh. and you have to have numbers in your head. Oh, um, she got a bachelor's degree there, and then she went to New York, and she got into Columbia uh, w- in the journalism department, which apparently is very, very competitive and really hard to get into. Wow. She graduated top of her class Fuck. with honors. And she had a, du- a dual master's degree in journalism and international relations Damn. from Columbia. So this is a very, very intelligent woman who's also obviously uh, very ambitious, knows exactly what she's into. And then they have just a ton of great quotes from her friends, like her classmate, um, Anna Kadria Ratto was interviewed by the BBC and said that Kim was very bubbly and warm. She's the kind of person who had fantastic stories about all the think stories that she was working on. Mm. And you could jump straight past the small talk, oh, which I like, that. right. That's, that's what we're all about. Mm-hmm. Um, she was intellectual, so well traveled, had all these varied interests and she liked quirky and eccentric stories. So if you were at a party, you'd end up passing hours chatting with her. That's so, so like, yeah, yeah, it's just like, Oh, I like her. Yeah. She's my friend. Um, she also won, um, an award called the Hansel Meith Prize, um, awarded by a German newspaper that I cannot pronounce. I apologize. It looks like Süddeutsche Zeitung. That's exactly right. Perhaps. I was <laughs> um, testing you. She was, yeah, exactly. Now I can move, move to Germany. In March 2016, they gave her an award for the best digital reportage of a series called Exodus, um, which was her report on climate change and nuclear weapons testing in the Marshall Islands. Wow, that's such smart stuff. Smart stuff that was like, that's not, you know, the Circleville Pumpkin Festival every year, which is my <laughs> report that I like to give. But this is clearly a woman. She was about... She was, she reported on like the, up, uh, the resurgence or the uprising of feminism in China. Whoa. She would do all these stories that were about like people who were up underrepresented about subculture is a word they use a lot. Um, she was a woman of substance. She really was. And she hauled her ass around the world getting these stories. Damn. So she went everywhere. She seemed very brave. And her friend Victoria Grieve told Sweden's Express and newspaper, about life in a oh she wrote about life in a huge shopping center in Kampala's Chinatown uh, about Cuba's underground internet providers who download and disseminate new episodes of Keeping Up with the Kardashians <laughs> to people in Havana um, she uh, we made a report together about the wealthy women in New York who voted for Donald Trump so she was political yeah. and she was but she was also she did like personality profiles and kind of those pieces of like meet meet your fellow humans in the world um but there are dangers to being a freelance journalist uh somebody named Shruti Gatipati 
I think G O T T I P A T I, Gotti Patti, yeah, who wrote in the in the Guardian um, as news organizations grapple with shrinking budgets, they increasingly rely on freelancers who cost less and are willing to take on the attendant risks reporting in places they wouldn't send their staff to. Oh, what? So that's scary. Yeah. Um, cause the competition's fierce and, um, f- you know, free ma- female freelancers get out there and work really hard to prove that they're the same kind of reporters as totally. anybody else. And they'll go get the stories and that they're willing to do all that, obviously. And they don't talk about the dangers themselves because they want to prove that they're, yeah. they can do the job. Yeah. Um, it just sounds like, they're complaining or something. Right, exactly. They don't want to do that. Yeah, they just want, they just want to keep getting the jobs and, yeah. and then hopefully have that get them, um, you know, some kind of editorial job or whatever. So, sure. So, um, we'll go to this inventor, Peter Matson. Um, he's, he's a Danish inventor who became famous around 2008 be- because he had built, what he claimed to be the first privately built, largest privately built submarine um, in the world. And it was 56 feet long. It was called uh, the UC3 Nautilus. And, or sorry, he, he did a series of submarines, the UC1 Treya, the UC2 Kraka, and the UC3 Nautilus. Is this like a thing that people do? Like make fucking submarines? No, it's not at all. Okay. This guy is like, it's, he sounds to me in the way they describe him to be a, like a low rent Elon Musk. Okay. So basically, um, cause when they say he made the biggest one, I'm like, well, are there a bunch of smaller ones. I know. <laughs> Isn't was submarine wise? Wouldn't you want to go a little smaller if you're making it yourself? Sure. Like if you forget one, you know, oh, yeah. like a one screw somewhere, and then it's this big old thing because you had to have like a dining room. Yeah, you f- you're, you run out of Gorilla Glue. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like length is. You should be super concerned with it when it's a submarine. But yeah, who but you I? know how men are. Who am I saying? <laughs> it is all about size. Okay, so he, so that's how he kind of bursts onto the scene. He com- he becomes, um, famous, you know, uh, in Denmark for basically being this kind of eccentric inventor. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, and he does all this stuff with either, um, uh, being fronted, uh, shit, what's that called? Oh, being like when they pay the money. Venture capitalist. Okay. So it's venture capitalism. So he's like, he goes, he's, you know, like a mover and shaker where he's out there and he's like, I'm this inventor and I can make this and the net new wave or personal submarines or whatever, the, however he did mm-hmm. it. And he gets people to kind of stake. They're like, great. Here's this money. Yeah. Here's 10 grand. I'm a venture capitalist and here's my blazer. We are too. Give us <laughs> fucking 10 grand. <laughs> Rich people. Um, yeah, we have all kinds of submarine ideas. <laughs> uh, so, but then he has that kind of personality where he's getting out there and he's about, he keeps getting himself in the paper. He's like, he becomes renowned yeah. as this eccentric inventor. And after the success of when he first came out with like, I made a submarine and I'm a self-taught engineer. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, then he partners with architect and former, Na- former NASA contractor Christian von Bengsten, mm. and they form a collective <laughs> called Copenhagen Subordinals. That's Subord- this all sounds like suborbital. This sounds like orbital villains from fucking 
Austin Powers movies. Yes, it's very much shave your head and put your fingers like up to your lips Mm -hmm. in a prayer position. Mm -hmm. They're actually a group of amateur rocket makers and they're working to the aim of launching a manned rocket into space. Oh yeah, me too. So they're self-made NASA astronaut like rocketeers. Calm down, dicks. It's... It's it's pretty bold when you're like, I didn't go to college for this, but how about you give me twenty five thousand dollars and I'm going to I'm going to have a rocket go up. I would rather have a not self-taught engineer make my rocket. Same. I would rather have someone who went to years and years of very hard school. Yeah, like I would I would like an engineer that's gone crazy. Like, because he's so specific and he checks things 19 times. Right, because he learned it from yes. people who were smarter than him. He's, I got, I want the guy that's got a bunch of books mm-hmm. that he has re- actually read. Mm-hmm. I want um, a guy who's in fucking, has student loan debt. Because <laughs> he went to so much fucking schooling. That's right. I want a guy that just asks me about me. Oh, wait, what are we doing? Uh, okay, so. Uh, Elvis is right here. <laughs> um. Okay, so that collective, Copenhagen Suborbitals, uh, uh-huh. it falls apart in 2014. No and shit. the word, it comes out that it's basically because Peter Madsen is nutso. Okay. He was, they say he was kind of a loner, really fighty. He's the kind of person that would throw a tool at you. Um, some men said they didn't find him to be intimidating in any way. And then some people said, and usually it was women, said that he was. So they, it was... Yeah, he was he was one of those kind of people, like a little monster. He, after the suborbitals group fell apart, he went on to create Rocket Madsen's Space Laboratory, Mm-mm-mm. which sounds like a show on the Cartoon Network. It totally does. <laughs> and he set that up to com- directly compete with his ex-partners. Oh, God. Because he's a dick. Um, <laughs> he is... Uh, wrote on the organization's website, my passion is finding ways to travel to worlds beyond the well-known. Well, submarines are pretty well known, Dick. Yeah, I mean, that's just a bay. You've been there. Okay, so in 2015, there's another dispute. And this, uh, for his new group, the volunteers, because he's doing everything by like crowdfunding and getting people to volunteer to come help him Mm -hmm. build these things. And these volunteers were like, they were the ones maintaining the Nautilus. And uh, they were like, bye, we're out of here. And everybody walked. And he said in a statement on his website, quote, you may think that a curse is lying on the Nautilus. That curse is me. He wrote that. Jesus. Um, And then he added, there will not be peace on Nautilus for as long as I exist. He's so scary. He seems crazy. Kim Wall had reached out to Peter Madsen in 2016 to get an interview with him. Because obviously at that time is like, who is this crazy submarine and rocket maker? This will make a good story. Yeah. Like, what's your deal? Um, He never got back to her. Um, a year later, she and her boyfriend, who was a designer, is named Ole or O-L-E, Ole, um, they've decided to move to Beijing. So it's the night, August 10th, it's the night of their farewell party. Mm-hmm. And she gets a phone call and it's Peter Madsen. And he's saying, I want to show you my newest personal <laughs> submarine, mm. the Nautilus. And um, he's like, you can, I'll grant you an interview and I'll, I'll show you how my submarine works. So she leaves. She goes and meets him. Leaves at, her party? Yeah. I don't know if the party had started. I don't know what uh, time she got the call. Okay. This is, this is the storiest story yeah. part of this story because the, none of the newspapers really specify um, that except for that, you know, at some point there were, somebody said 
they made it sound like it was the same night. Okay. So she was basically like, I'll be right back. Yeah. This will take Huge me story. three hours. Totally. And it's, and I have to do it. Yeah. Um, cause it's like she's waited a year. Totally. So Maybe she meets him at the harbor mm-hmm. and there's a picture and this is kind of famous on the internet. Um, a person going by on a boat <gasps> who saw the submarine sitting above the water in the harbor and, uh, Peter and Kim were both on it, took a picture of them from the <gasps> side of the boat. And that's essentially the last time anyone sees her alive is that oh. moment. So eight hours later, um, she's not returned. She's not contacted anyone. So her boyfriend calls the police and, uh, at 2.30 in the morning reporting her missing, saying she went on the submarine with uh-huh. Peter Madsen. They left from here. Da da da. The same morning, later that morning, authorities are, are called out to rescue a man whose personal submarine was sinking. Uh-uh. And of course, it's Peter Madsen. And so, uh, the police questioned the 46 year old inventor. Um, he liked to describe himself. Oh, I, no. I should have put this up higher. As an entrepreneur, <laughs> me too. Oh my god! I like but, to describe him as an asshole. Uh, I mean, if you call yourself anything, don't let it be. What is that? There's a word for words that are word combos uh-huh. like that. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm gonna like up a new word. Okay, Willy Wonka, take it easy. <laughs> he also said that his work was to quote to challenge the ordinary. So he's the ordinary is like, we're good. Yeah, it's fine. You, you know what? How about just be a normal person? Yeah. Um, he just sounds like a bullshit artist yeah. to me. Like one of those people that's good at raising money because he can say like buzz Cocky. phrases yeah. that people like. Uh, like a fucking head of a startup. Ex- exactly. And P- um, no offense we, to heads of startups. Steven just looked up a picture. Will you just tell Georgia what you describe him as? Oh, I just said he looks like an ugly Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. I could see that easily morphing into ugly. Yes. He had, because he was in the press so much for all his in- inventions and being this eccentric inventorpreneur, um, he had actually had a biography written about him um, by a journalist named Thomas Gersing. And I, he, I know he, he paid for it, right? Well, I, I don't know. Um, so that guy said that he was angry with God and everyone and that he had a hard time get along, getting along with other people and his lofty ambitions, um, caused him to want to do everything his way. So basically, dick. Yeah. Um, and also the, clearly that's what other people that worked with him said. People who were having to walk off the job or like breaking up entire, you form this huge collective yeah. and then everyone's like a year later, like not working with you anymore. Um, not like us. That's Steven, right. Steven's been here the whole time. The, he's been here most of the time. Most of the half time. the time. Yeah. Um, okay. So they, when they're questioning him, he says he doesn't know where she is. The last time he saw her, she was alive. That he, before his submarine sank, he'd actually dropped her off very close to where he had, they had originally met. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she was fine the last time that he saw her. Mm. Um, so everyone, he, he, it was, at a, he said it was, she went to a restaurant at 1030 and that was the last time that he saw her. He drove away in his little submarine and then terrible things happened to him. Um, so they end up pulling up the sunken submarine. Um, and they test, they go over it. The forensics people find blood smears and they match it to Kim Wall's mm. DNA. Just like that. Yep. And so they're suddenly they're like, here's the thing, Peter, her wires, her blood on the inside of your if you if she walked off fine, then what happened? So then 
Um, he changes his stories, his story <laughs> singular. And, uh, he says that actually what happened was that she was coming out of the hatch and he was holding it open for her and it slipped and it tr- cracked on her head <gasps> and it killed her, um, because it fractured her skull. And so he panicked and buried her at sea. <gasps> um, uh, and they're like, yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't track either. Then on um, August 21st, a passing cyclist spots a washed up torso on an island um, southwest of Amager. The I'm not pronouncing that right. That poor person. And the DNA test identifies that it is, it belongs to Kim Wall. Oh, Kim. Um, a post-mortem examination finds 15 stab wounds. Oh, um, my God. Mostly on the lower part of this torso. Oh, my God. Yeah. So then, so then, uh, a, like 10 days later, Copenhagen police investigator Jens Moller Jensen announces the police have found a bag that mm. was submerged in the bay mm-hmm. with Kim Wall's clothing. So it's a shirt, skirt, socks, and shoes, along with a knife weighed down by pieces of lead. <gasps> and then... Around noon that day, they find her legs and her head also in a bag, also weighted down. So then he changes his story. And he says, um, because they say, so there's the skull, there's no skull fracture. So your whole thing of she died because you dropped the hatch on her head is a lie. And he goes, no, 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 you're right. Here's what happened. I was, we were up above the water, Mm -hmm. but she was down in the submarine. I was up on the, on deck and there was a carbon monoxide leak and she died of poison of that. And I panicked. Which is so stupid because like. That's a better story than you hitting her head. Like, that makes you seem like, so why would you start with hitting her head? Because he didn't think through the fact that saying hitting her head and then when they, he doesn't think they're going to find the body parts. Yeah. And he, he's not questioning any of that. He's just like, they're going to believe whatever I say. She's gone. Yeah. Which they're never gone. Which even if like, yeah, they don't believe it. There's no way to prove it unless they find the body. Right. And why would you think they wouldn't when this is like, then it's their job and they're going to want it. So... Um, so then the test comes back and of course there's no, there's sure. no sign of carbon monoxide yeah. in her lungs and they're like, it's not happening. So he, he denies that he intentionally killed her, but he does admit to dismembering her and throwing her into the ocean. He calls it burying her at sea. Jesus. Um, Psychopath. Insane. So on January 16th, 2018, Peter Madsen is charged with murder, indecent, indecent handling of a corpse, and, quote, sexual relations other than intercourse of a particularly dangerous nature. Because when they, they got test, test back, and there were stab wounds inside the genital <gasps> area as well as outside. <sighs> And so his trial begins on March 8th, 2017. I feel so bad for the boyfriend. Oh, it's horrible. That he like is probably blaming himself for not going with her. That's not what she was like, though. That's yeah. what she did stuff like that all the time. That of course. was standard fare. And you're like, I'm in business mode. Of course, I'm going to go by myself to this place. And he's an eccentric. He's an eccentric engineer. He's and just a yeah. regular person that's been in the news. He's well known around Denmark. I totally would not expect that. Yeah. He's not some like it's not some weirdo that she picked from under a rock. Yeah. This is a guy that's been in the news for like 
almost 10 years. Shit, seriously. Um, so she probably, yeah, she felt safe. Like maybe he's weird, but she's, that's part of the story is totally. that he's weird. Totally. So when the uh, trial begins, prosecution claims that Peter Madsen tortured Kim Wall, um, before killing her by cutting, either cutting, mm. cutting her throat or strangling her. <sighs> um, and they, they said that he, uh, believed, they believed that he had psychopathic tendencies. Um, one reason is because they found snuff films on his computer. <gasps> so he, he was watching really violent, horrible porn. Yeah. And also their people came and testified at his trial that said they had seen him watch videos of decapitation <gasps> and, and choking to the point of asphyxiation. So he, they knew that he was like a violent creep. Like the oh people around God. him. Yeah. Like, showed up and were like yep i've got a story also what kind of lunatic do you have to be to watch things like that where people can see totally. you watching them that's totally. like you think it's so fucking normal that you are fine with people knowing about it it's kind of like you see that every once in a while people just looking at porn on a yeah. plane where it's like oh you're so did you think this is normal you're desensitized and you're you're so addicted that yeah. you're just like fine. I just it's what I need. And also, it's like, what are you gonna do? Watch porn yeah. on a plane and then watching porn to not masturbate, just just watch it is so creepy. I mean, is it's there's so many angles to, like watch to talk porn, about creepy with it. But <sighs> okay, so anyway, um, uh, when they s- question him about the dismemberment uh, aspect of the murder, he stated on the stand. I don't see how that mattered at the time as she was dead. He said that in court. I can do whatever I want to her dead body because she's dead. Like, why are people upset? The body, oh the body was God. dead is essentially the, the message he was sending. So, of course, on April 25th, Peter Madsen was... Of this con- year? Uh, yeah. It just happened. It just happened. Holy so, shit. I mean, like, the murder happened at the end of last year. And then the case, that's why I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Is because the case was, like, No, fresh. I think it's smart. Yeah. And people really wanted you to do this story so uh, so i think it's better that you saved it for the podcast too right yeah yeah um because it would have been dead fucking silent yeah i mean it's, it's the worst it's sad it's sad because it's this amazing young woman who was genius right yeah. she's like super brilliant had this great career like kind, kind of person with friends and yeah and had yeah it was just like a lover of life yeah and then this guy who just clearly like thought he could just kind of do whatever he wanted and make shit up like clearly thinks he's smarter than everybody else yeah um but the cool thing is so when he's convicted on april 25th on all three charges he's sentenced to life in prison which we know in scandinavia is very extreme yeah but they also placed him in this thing called forvaring which is a type of preventative custody with no time limit for prisoners Mm. believed to pose a significant danger to others so it's more than it's yeah it's more than the average um they're the in fact that's the harshest penalty in danish law they're saying like even if you only get 20 years we're keeping you in this place to make sure that even if 20 if 20 years comes up and you're better you're not better you get you have to stay in there longer yeah i think that makes total sense well it's it's the thing of there's their life sentence is 20 years and they're saying no time limit right yeah so it's the it is the harshest thing you can get, and usually the only time anyone gets it is if there's multiple wow. deaths. But they gave it to him on the in this case. So he is said that he, it's said he's going to appeal this sentence in Copenhagen's high I'm court sure in is. September. Oh fuck him! Uh, Let's yeah. all go to Sweden. Let's 
I don't want to go, right? But let's all go to Sweden. Why not? Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm making it seem like I... Oh, I see. You're using it as an yeah. excuse. Uh, so after Kim Wall's death, her family and friends started something called the Kim Wall Memorial Fund. This is amazing. Uh, to fund and support freelance female reporters. Uh, especially ones that are doing stories about subculture, like trying to give voice to the voiceless. Um, and wow. in October 2017, uh, she was posthumously nominated for Pre-Europa's Outstanding Achievement Award for Journalist of the Year. Oh. And on... November 26th, uh, Swedish public television aired a documentary about her life entitled The Woman Who Wanted to Tell. Um, I hope that I hope we can see that yeah. over here at some point. Um, this was one of the most gruesome and closely watched cases in Scandinavian history. Holy shit. And that is the murder of Kim Wall. Oh, Kim. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Kind of intense. Very short, though. That one. I mean, it. it's like there's not as much. Of yeah, the the yeah. detail that usually happens, but it's just it's just so it was so crazy to see that unfolding of like then they found this and then they found that in the news and I remember seeing that picture of her face in your old apartment when we first talked because oh. we talked about it when the story broke. That's right, everyone and was sending it to us. Yeah, and it was kind of like wait, wait, wait. It, it was so you know, it's like a good story, unexpected. What so happened? sinister, yeah, disgusting, we and don't like believe or trust this guy. Yeah, well, that's really sucky. Yeah. Also, I I can't remember if I said this or not, but the cops did find that he sunk his own submarine. Oh, sure. So yeah. he was trying to hide all that. They found a saw on the submarine. <sighs> they found a screwdriver on the submarine. He had no explanation as to why he needed either of those on the yeah. submarine. I mean, like, you yeah. think someone bought that submarine and is now like, well, I don't care what happened. I'm gonna bu- I'm gonna drive it. <laughs> Like how people buy houses where people have died in them. <laughs> or uh, station wagons. Yeah. They're like, just keep it. Just yeah. keep it. Yeah. Just keep it. We don't have the money to buy a new submarine. Here's, <laughs> we get the family into the submarine. Yeah. This is the thing I wanted to say during yours, but I didn't want to be so insanely disrespectful. Please. But don't. There was also the element of like, what if it's now the haunted station wagon? Well, that's what they say in the confession tapes is fucking Beverly Lake, who's just the miss know-it-all says i just asked there was this movie out of the time called where the car killed everyone called christine you know and it was like well that doesn't really fit this also go to bed uh, also don't talk about that shit yeah. i get to talk about it on my dumb murder podcast but like if you're <laughs> she says like and i was joking and i know this isn't funny and it's just like well then why are you saying it we're the last people that are allowed to say that. <laughs> fair enough do you want to go first sure I started watching it, uh, so everyone knows, and I can't, I don't think we talked about it, but very tragically, Anthony Bourdain committed suicide yeah. a couple weeks ago, um, right around the same time that Kate Spade committed suicide. It's so insane. Uh, which, you know, the thing that I kept reading on social media that I think is really interesting is that everyone assumes that if you are rich or if you are successful, mm-hmm. that means you're happy. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely not the case. As someone who's lived in Los Angeles for a long time and yeah. met lots of famous slash, you know, successful people, I can assure you it has no bearing. And sometimes it's the opposite. Yeah. It's what makes people really unhappy. Or they're like... I have this and I'm still not happy and it yeah. makes you even more unhappy because you realize that that isn't going to solve your problems. And they interpret that there's something inherently wrong with them. Yeah. Um, it's super tragic. So I had never, I always heard of Anthony Bourdain. I always assumed that was an 
area I wasn't interested in because it was cooking. Like I kind of took myself out of like like, cooking, not interested. I mean, but I love chef's table, but I always assumed it's because the way they made it was so filmic and like that. He doesn't even really do cooking. No, I just assumed I knew what it was. I do that all the time. Like, oh, here's the show. So I started watching um, Parts Unknown. Yeah. And it is it's Parts Unknown is on Netflix. Yeah. And I highly recommend it. And this also kind of does actually tie in a little bit with Kim Wall. I think it's so important if just try to travel, try to like go outside of your normal town or state or area where you grew up. Um, try to be around people that are different than you. Try to eat food that is weird to you. Yeah. Try to be less comfortable, live less comfortably and experience the world more. I, I think it's so important. And it seemed to me that's kind of what Anthony Bourdain was all about. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's so cool because he would just be in these places. Like the first episode is Myanmar, mm-hmm. Myanmar, which used to be Burma. And I had no idea about any of it. Every yeah. single word he said in that episode was an education to me. Yeah. And the fact that they went and shot it was like, yay, now I don't have to go there <laughs> yeah. and I don't have to eat fish. But <laughs> secondhand, it's such an incredible experience to kind of open your eyes to like how other people people live and um i don't know i recommend it so highly it it feels like legitimately enriching Uh and and then it also makes his death really really sad because he doesn't understand and this is the truth of it we don't understand what we're bringing to the table we don't understand what people take away from us or we're we feel overburdened by what people the expectations people have of us too yeah but that's made up too like that you make up expectations you don't know what people really fucking think but you don't know what they think good and you don't know what they think bad but i think there's a certain personality type that always assumes it's bad when actually it's amazing and like just sitting there watching it going i now i love this guy and i love this i love his life philosophy he's amazing he definitely introduced he definitely brought cultures to people who had never had any experience from that culture through the best possible way, which is their food. Yeah, that's great. Well, and he like, he talks to all these real people. Yeah. It's not, he's just so cool. He's just a really cool person, obviously, to hang out with and eat with. He wasn't, because I think the foodie people can be a bit distancing because yeah. it's like a big race to name the cheese or whatever. And mm-hmm. you're just like, I don't fucking know. And it didn't seem like that was his deal. He was more appreciative and kind of like, look at this. Well, what I loved about what he always did in every episode, or like, you know, lots of episodes, one of the things he would do, he'd go to the nicest restaurant in this city. He would go to the farmer's market. He would go to this cafe or whatever. But he would also always go to someone's home and have like their grandmother make him a meal that Uh, they always ate like you know this is what the peasants ate or this is the you know that everyone here grew up eating this food and so that was always really eye-opening going to someone's home meet the family and and not just from a like restaurant point of view or yeah he went to a place in quebec in uh montreal where they make this sandwich (laughs) that's so crazy looking because it's like a pile. It looks like it was like spam with a pile of bologna (laughs) and then they fry it. Oh my God. And there's mustard and then maybe a cheese on there or something. And you're looking at it. It's one of those places where you can't order. You can't go like no mustard for me or whatever. You have have it as they make it. And he bites into it and he's just like, that's delicious. And then you're just kind of like, it's that thing. It's the appreciation of I sent you guys on Twitter. I added you guys on Twitter when he goes to Waffle House with the oh, yeah. with the cook um, with a chef who's explaining to him why Waffle House is so great. Totally. 
And that's a great video if you can find it. It's yeah. super good. I love that. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny because my one of one of the my loves is going to lunch by myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really love I did it today. Uh, yesterday after one of our meetings, there was a place that I had been I'll get into these fucking hour long like scroll sessions of a hashtag of a restaurant oh. on on Instagram and just look at all their food. I'll go look at their menu. I pick out what I would order. <laughs> and I did that and realized the night before I realized on the way home the other day that I was right by there. And so I, I went in and had lunch alone and read about my murder for this for this week and just kind of enjoyed myself. And that's just like this lovely little pleasure I have. I don't like going to see movies alone. I don't like any of that shit. I just want to go sit and eat a really cool, you know, order whatever I want and have this nice lunch alone. It's kind of one of my favorite things. Awesome. Um, I also wrote a movie with my dad because my dad spent the night last night and he and I accidentally got drunk and <laughs> <laughs> we watched um, this. So my my uncle Michael Hardstark was an actor way back in the like 70s and he is in a horror, a fucking campiest shit horror movie. It was um, Brooke Shields' first movie <laughs> uh, called Alice Sweet Alice. Yes. With Wait, is Betty Davis in it? Is she? Oh, you would know. If you watched it, you would know. Okay. Well, maybe. Well, uh, it's really campy. I feel like it has, it should be one of those campy horror movies that everyone watches, but it's not for some reason, but you can get it. I don't know on online somewhere or like Amazon or one of those places. He's in that movie. Well, he, so what happened was he was going to be like the assistant detective. There was like a main guy who was like this famous actor who was going to be the detective. And that guy got a fucking role on Broadway. So he latered off the fucking show. (laughs) And my uncle, Michael Hardstark, who looks like a cross between, um, what's the guy from Zodiac? Who's so cute. Jake Gyllenhaal. No, the other one. Oh, Ruffalo. Ruffalo. Yes. He looks like a more pockmarked, like Columbo style Ruffalo. Yes. And he's in it and it's great. So everyone go watch Alice, sweet Alice. Also get drunk with your dad on Rosé. It's so much fun. (laughs) My dad is so hilarious and sweet. I love it. Yeah. That's really good. That's a nice Father's Day. Yeah. Like tee off. Marty! Did you see his tweet about Starbucks? No, what do you say? He wrote a tweet saying, I'm I'm going to start using the name Marty at Starbucks instead of Martin to see if there's any murderinos working at Starbucks. Oh, no. He's like on board with this. Uh, that, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That's so hilarious. Yeah. So happy, happy <laughs> Father's Day, Marty. <laughs> oh, my dad's not on board with anything I do. <laughs> They're going to meet one day. It's going to be so fun. Oh, well, they'll have some beers. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, you guys. You, you're fucking sweet angel babies. Yeah, thanks for everything. And, uh, you know, stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Elvis, you want cookie? Oh. Want, want two cookies? Yeah. What else?